As we get into the message today, I'll read the passage out of 1 Samuel 16, 6 through 13. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. Hi, everyone. This last week, we began the journey of Lent. And Lent is the 40-day season of preparation for Jesus' resurrection on Easter morning. And, you know, I usually preach a, a series of messages on something like the spiritual disciplines during Lent. I really want to encourage you to think about how you might prepare yourself for the resurrection this Easter. You know, traditionally, a lot of Christians, they'll maybe fast or they'll give up something. Others might add something. I'm a big advocate of that, like maybe a Lenten study. And, you know, for our small groups and a lot of the small groups in the church, we'll be studying a series called Entering the Passion of Jesus by Dr. Jill Levine. And she's just wonderful. But for a sermon series, you know, I really prayed about sermon series this year. And a specific biblical figure just kept coming to my mind. And honestly, it didn't really make sense. And and I spent some time thinking long and hard, what is the meaning of the season of Lent? Well, it's about preparing our hearts for Jesus' journey to the cross, into the tomb, and then rising with him on Easter morning, preparing for that resurrection. It's, It's a time that we seek repentance. We work for reconciliation and restoration and and redemption in our relationships, our relationships with one another, our relationships with God. And so I really, I just wondered why God was so clearly bringing King David to my mind as I was praying about a Lenten series. I mean, David is huge in the Old Testament. He's the only person who has more verses written about him than anybody else except for Moses. Moses is the only one with more verses written about him in the Old Testament. But that's the Old Testament. What does that have to do with preparing for Easter? But the more I thought about, that really made sense. You know, David's name literally means beloved. And he is a symbol for the human condition. And King David is the best and the worst of every one of us, all wrapped up into one. And we're going to see throughout this story, it's just filled with the themes of Lent, like repentance and reconciliation, restoration, redemption. You know, David sinned and everyone paid the price. His family, the entire nation, and the entire nation, they suffered terribly for the sins of their leader. But here's the deal. King David saw the pain 
and the suffering that he had caused. And frankly, it forced him on his knees. It drove him to humility before God. He was honest with what he had done. He repented of what he had done to God, and God forgave him. Traditionally, David wrote 150 psalms. And he was so grieved for the ways that he had sinned. One-third of David's psalms, 150 psalms, one-third of them are lamentations for what he'd done. Now, one of those psalms we're going to end with the week before Easter, and that's Psalm 22. Those are, that's where Jesus' last words as he hung on the cross came from. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Easter teaches Jesus was not forsaken at all. He was unforsaken. Just like his ancestor, God's beloved, King David. And just like you, just like me, God will never forsake us. So today, I want to introduce you to King David. He was the second king of Israel. He ruled somewhere around 1010 B.C. to 970 B.C. Now, Israel wasn't supposed to have a king is the point. I mean, going all the way back to Abraham, God was going to be Israel's king. That was part of the deal. And Israel, they were supposed to be set apart. They were supposed to be different. They weren't supposed to have a king. If you remember, Moses led God's people from slavery in Egypt, but Moses was never king because God was king. But the people wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted a king that they could see. They wanted to be like the other nations that were around them. And God didn't want them to be like the other nations. So God sent judges, if you remember. And in the Bible, a judge, that's not a man in a black robe who sits on a bench and listens to court cases all day long. The judges in the Bible, they were individuals that God called to lead Israel. I mean, some were military leaders, but they weren't kings because God was king. But that wasn't enough. The people wanted to be like other nations. They wanted to have a king. That was an affront to God. It's like saying, God, you're not good enough. You're not cutting it for us. We want a king that will lead us into battle. We want to see our king. We want a king that looks like a king. And it finally came ahead during a judge named Samuel's tenure. As a matter of fact, Samuel was the last of the judges. The people wanted a human king. They wanted to be like other nations. The people and Samuel, they went back and forth on this. Samuel kept saying, no, no, God is supposed to be our king. But the people pushed more and more. And finally, Samuel named Saul as Israel's first king. Saul looked the part. I mean, the description in the Bible is basically young Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was tall. He was broad-shouldered. He looked like a king. But it didn't take long for them to learn. Saul wasn't as good as he looked. Matter of fact, in Hebrew, the word Saul, the name Saul, it literally means you asked for it. Things went really bad with Saul. And we're going to see that in the next couple of weeks. But though he looked the part, Saul wasn't up to the task. I mean, he was disobedient to God. And finally, God spoke to Samuel and told him to anoint a new king. And I want to pause there. Because, you know, Saul was anointed king, but he didn't follow God. He did, God pulled that anointing away. God still loved Saul. 
But I think that's really important for us to get. God called someone else to lead. A leader can lose God's anointing. 1 Samuel 15, it ends by saying the Lord was sorry that he made Saul king over Israel. We'll come back to that. And it's huge. So God sent Samuel to the little town of Bethlehem. I hope that sounds familiar. And he told him to go and look for a man named Jesse. And God said, I have provided for myself a king among his sons. This is different. This is a king that God chose. And you notice what he said there, what God said to, to Samuel. He didn't say which son. He wants to see what Samuel has learned from this whole king ain't you asked for it experience. So Samuel, he goes off to Bethlehem and he finds Jesse and he asks him to bring his sons to see him. And Jesse, he brings out his seven young men. He lines them up and, and they are impressive. The thing we don't know about this point of the story is Jesse actually has eight boys. He didn't even bring out the youngest because he wasn't an option because he didn't look like a king, not like his seven older brothers. He was just a shepherd boy. So Samuel, he, he saw Jesse's oldest, Eliab, at first. And Eliab, he looked like a king. He was handsome. He was tall. He had rippling muscles. Uh, the whole deal. And we're told one look. And, and, and Samuel thinks, surely the Lord's anointed is now here. This is a king of kings. No question. Way to go, God. But God said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance, his height or his stature. The Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God's saying to Samuel, have you already forgotten, king, you asked for it? I mean, please, Samuel, you've got to learn from your past. Samuel hears, and, and he asked Jesse to have his next son step up, and, and this one's Abinadab, and same exact thing, Abinadab, man, he looks like a king, but no. And one by one, all seven of Jesse's boys, fine young men, they come forward, and every single time, God says no. Samuel thinks, this doesn't make any sense. And then he, he, he looks at Jesse and says, Jesse, are, are these all of your boys? Do you have any other sons? Well, I thought you wanted a king. I mean, just take a look at Eliab again. Look at his jaw. That is the jaw of a king. I mean, his hair, his biceps. People are going to follow him. And again, Samuel says, Jesse, what's going on here? Jesse looks down at his feet. Well, I, I have another boy, David. I don't know how to say this, and, and we love him and all, Samuel, but he's a musician. I mean, one out of eight, I guess it had to happen. He's a nice kid, but he's small, and he's out with the sheep, and just, just look at these men. These are the stuff of kings. Okay, go get the boy. We're going to have to wait. I think you're wasting your time here, Samuel, and David finally, he comes in, he stands before Samuel, and God says, Samuel, grab your horn of oil. This is the one. This is a man after my heart. So Samuel anoints him, 
And we're told the Spirit of the Lord came mightily, it says, upon David from that day forward. So David was somewhere between 10 and 13 years old, most likely, when he was anointed. He doesn't become king for another 18 years. And, and we're going to see in the next couple weeks, those were 18 long years for David and for Israel. And there is so much in this anointing story. Even Samuel had to learn from his experience with Saul. One look at Eliab, though. He, he, was, he was ready to get the anointing oil out, and Saul, same thing. That's how they chose him. But it's the character. It's the heart that matters. But not just Samuel. I mean, David's own father didn't even want to bring him forward when he heard Samuel wanted to choose one of his boys for, he knew a great work at that point, uh, to be anointed by God. You know, traditionally, Christians give up something for Lent. And maybe, you know, like I say, they'll fast once a week or they give up chocolate or Pepsi. And, and that's supposed to show solidarity with Jesus for his time of fasting in the wilderness. But I just wonder if we could give up seeing things from a human perspective and really try to see things from God's perspective for Lent. I mean, how things look, outward experiences, you know, no. It's what's on the inside that matters. Value. Where do you place your value? Is it in how much something costs or what the media tells us is valuable? I mean, a faster car, a nicer boat, a bigger house. What, what do you value? I want to come back to Jesse. So the things we say, spoken or unspoken, they're huge messages. David's father didn't even bring him out to meet Samuel. Now, we have to understand, in Israel, you know, Samuel was about as big a rock star as they had back then. I mean, everybody knew who he was. And so when he came to Bethlehem, the Bible says the elders were afraid because he was legendary. And then he asked to meet Jesse's sons. And Jesse Frankly, he sends David to watch the sheep so the other boys could meet Samuel. I think there's a huge lesson for parents here. But I think for every one of us, what are we saying to the kids that are around us? Do our actions tell them that we value them, that we love them? But it's not just kids, right? I mean, what do our actions speak to those around us right now? Maybe our spouses or our friends or the people we work with. But also the messages that we say to ourselves. Do we say to ourselves, you know, I always mess up. I can't do that. I'm not even going to try. You know, you keep saying that to yourself, you're going to believe it. You're going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. You are a loved child of God. God is proud of you. Your heavenly Father is proud of you. You need to remember this. Maybe that's something to work on for Lent. God didn't see the scrawny runt that Jesse, his father, saw. He looked at David's heart, and God saw a king. A king in the making but God saw a king, 
Because God looks at the heart. God always chooses the most unlikely for the greatest tasks. I mean, throughout the Bible, Sarah and Abraham, a couple of childless senior citizens were called to be the parents of Israel. I mean, Moses, he was a stutterer, called to speak on behalf of God to Pharaoh, and then to lead his people to freedom. God chose to enter creation as a baby, born to poor peasants, got pregnant before wedlock. And later on, as a man, Jesus chose just uneducated fishermen to be his disciples. I mean, they were the ones he taught, but also he was going to rely on them to continue his work when he was gone. This is how God works. That's God's value system. It's not the richest, not the most powerful, not the best looking, not the smartest. God values the heart above everything else. And I just wonder if we can, this Lent, if we can set aside our value system and start to value what God values instead. Something else I hinted at. David was anointed somewhere around the age of 10 to 13, but he didn't become king for another 18 years. And we're going to see this in the next couple weeks, but those were 18 hard years. A couple attempts at killing him, I mean, assassination. He had to hide in isolation. He lived in caves. He was hunted. He hid as a crazy person. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And, and you know, we have no patience. We want it right now so we can move on to the next thing. David wasn't ready to be king at 10 or 13 years old. He had what it was going to take, but he needed some experience under his belt. And he needed to mature. And I, I, I think those 18 years, you know, watching Israel's first king, King Saul, king you asked for it, I think had a pretty big impact on David. Because he watched him implode. He watched Saul just lose perspective. And, you know, he went through these emotional ups and downs and his depression and his paranoia, the whole deal. You know, Saul is a case study in so many areas of how not to lead. He was a case study for David. David needed 18 years of preparation, 18 years of learning, 18 years of character building. And I have a feeling that's why later in life he was so humble when he was confronted with his own sin, how he had hurt other people. To the point he wrote these words, Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And later in life, you know, David really messed up. And people died. And the nation suffered because of his leadership. And we all mess up. That's just being human. But I think what makes David stand out, he got on his knees. And he begged for forgiveness. He humbled himself for what he'd done. How he had hurt others how he'd hurt his nation. What makes King David's story great is about the greatness of David's humility, the greatness of kneeling before God, the greatness of the act of repentance, and the greatness of being honest with what he had done and offering what he had done to God and experiencing grace and experiencing forgiveness 
That's what Lent's all about. Preparing to leave the tomb and exchanging it for resurrection. You know, I just have to wonder how many times during those 18 years, in between his anointing and his coronation, as David was hiding, as people were trying to kill him, how many times do you think he looked back on that day Samuel came to Bethlehem, looked beyond his brothers, and looked for him? The day David was anointed, how many times you remembered that day and just thought, was that real? Did that really happen? Am I going to be king? God, have you forsaken me? But he wasn't forsaken. He was God's anointed. It just wasn't time yet. God used those 18 years to carve his character. And in those 18 years, I think David's faith grew. It didn't happen overnight. Pretty much things of consequence rarely happen overnight. But we always want to skip to the end of the journey, don't we? We want to skip all of the hard times. We want to skip all the difficult times. But that's when our character is growing and our values are developing and our faith cements as we find God in the trenches of life. And then later we look back on the journey and realize God's timing was the best. And even when we felt forsaken, we can see clearly how God was there all along. We all want this season to end, 2021. We all want to skip ahead. We all want to get it in the rearview mirror. But I want to ask you, as we begin this journey toward the resurrection, how's God trying to work in your life right now? Will you join me in prayer? Lord, I thank you on this day for hope. I do thank you for the journey, not the experiences, but the way that we experience you as we offer our experiences. You take our tombs and you take our death and you bring forth life. As we prepare our hearts for Easter 2021, help us as we're on our knees to rise our face and to see your light, the light of the resurrection. In your son's name we pray, amen.